December 26, 1982 is the day I became an orphan. On that day, the day after Christmas, as many of you already know, my family was involved in a car accident um, in the uh, countryside of Bolivia. Our family's SUV went off the side of a road, tumbling hundreds of feet, and uh, my parents both died in the accident, along with one of my brothers. There were three of us originally in the family, only two of us survived. It was quite traumatic, and I've told the story before. I even scared some of the junior hires a couple of months ago, oh, a couple of weeks ago, showing some of my scars. December 26th is a very important day for me. It's the day I went from being part of a family of five, an average kid living in an average life, to being an orphan. On that day, everything changed, my whole world changed. But I didn't understand that at the time. After a few weeks I spent in the hospital with a number of surgeries and, and uh, different kinds of therapies. My, my brother and I were finally out of the hospital and um, <clears throat> we returned to what was once our home. The only problem was there was no one there to fill it. By the time this accident took place in our family's life, all of my relatives, aunts and uncles and cousins, no longer lived in Bolivia, in South America, in La Paz. Most of my relatives on my father's side lived here in San Diego, and my mother's side lived in Brazil. So we were all alone, and once my parents died, it was just my brother and I. Naturally, relatives came from different parts of the world to try to help us and bless us. One of my aunts, my Aunt Mary, uh, came to Bolivia. It was the first time I'd ever met her, and she came to rescue my brother and I. And uh, she, along with other uncles, put the resources together to emigrate my brother and I to the United States so that we could become adopted and live here and become of their family. So my Aunt Mary is now my mother, which makes my cousin George now my brother. And um, while my aunt was there, and after I had spent some time in the hospital, uh, they were going through the process of dissolving our life. I don't know how else to put it. I was 10 years old, so I didn't quite understand what was going on at the time. I just did what they told me. And one of the things that they told me is we need to pack our things. They said to me and my brother, you guys are moving, we're moving, so we had a whole house worth a life. Uh, and we had to sort of like figure out what to do with it. We used to own a piano and some toys and we had to be given away or sold. And one of the hardest things to get rid of, at least I was sold at the time, was personal effects. Do you know what that is? Somewhere in your house, I know I have it in my house, I have these boxes of things. Um, if you open that box, none of it will be useful to you, but it means a whole lot to me. Cards, you know, th things that I've written, stuff. You with me? Anybody have stuff that's like, okay, they're called personal effects. Well, my father and my mother and our family, they had these. My dad was a pastor, and he had a number of things, books, writings, all kinds of stuff. And you can't give that away to anyone, because who wants it? You can't sell it. So you know what they did? They said, let's pack it all together. We're going to burn it. I was 10 years old, and I was like, okay, I guess that's what we do. Uh, some way, I, I, I'm not sure if this is true, but I came to believe that in Bolivia, that's how you dissolve a life. You, you burn the stuff, and then it is no more. Maybe it was meant to give me closure, and I distinctly remember getting into this truck, loading up our, these boxes of papers and things, and driving out in the cool of the evening to a, a place in the Altiplano, which is like in the outskirts of La Paz, and there, in some like uh, open area and space, we unloaded these things 
things and we made a bonfire as the stars began to sparkle in the sky. And I, along with my brother and some, some friends and my relatives, were putting papers and things into the fire. I distinctly remember the feel and the sounds of the crackling. And I was thinking to myself, okay, this is what we do. I could not understand it at the time, but I was burning all these pieces of my father's history and my mother's history. December 26 is the day I became an orphan. And after that, I began to live as an orphan for a while until I was finally adopted. But even through my years in adoption, the one thing that became difficult to me as I grew up from being 10 to 12 to 13 to 15 was to get a sense of who I was. And if you know, some of you know because your story might be similar to mine. If you, if you live without a father or a mother or without both, there's some things about yourself that you just can't understand. And when you're an orphan, you long for someone or someone to help you figure out who you are and why you are who you are. You with me? I struggled with this here in the new country, in the new world, with a new family and a new life. I struggled with it. And it's hard for people to understand unless you've been in that situation. And when I was in my teenage years, when I was 15 and 16, and, and during that season of life where some of you are now, where it's like you're trying to figure out, you're trying to make sense of it, and you don't know who to listen to, I deeply longed that my father or my mother could be reached, that I could somehow talk to them, and that could, they could somehow help me. And I began to think about that night, that night when we burned their stuff. I didn't understand it at the time, but now as I got older and then as I grew up and became older, went to college, and especially when I began to pursue ministry, oh, I so wish I could go back to that night and not burn it all because what would I give to have a piece of my father's writings? Some of their personal letters. Some way to know him as a person rather than just this man I think I've confessed to you guys that I was a mama's boy, though, right? Have we, have we, we've been over that? Yeah, I think I've made that confession. And if I haven't, ta-da. Um, uh, my father was a pastor, and I loved him and respected him and admired him, but he was away a lot. Uh, so I spent my early childhood attached to my mother's thigh. Um, wherever she went, I went, and I loved her and still do. She taught me the meaning of love, unconditional love. But when she was gone, that idea went with her. And I struggled to, to find my place, my footing, as I got older. And I longed to have some way to talk to her and to hear from her. And sometimes I just wish I had a little piece of her to remember her. Now she's just a memory. See, when you become an orphan, it's disorienting. It keeps you kind of guessing where to go and what to do and what's the right thing. See, we were designed to live with the presence of our fathers and our mothers and that they would help us. But when you become an orphan, all that gets out of whack. And some of you know what I'm talking about. 
And what we've learned, what we've been studying here the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months, is that when we were first created as, as, a, as a people, as a human race, we were created and designed to live in constant companionship with God, our Father. That He would be our Father, we would be His children, and He would orient us and guide us and teach us who we were to be and why we were to be. But we became orphans the day we chose to walk out of the Garden of Eden. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that when we rejected God's provision and protection, He had no choice but to let us go on our way. And that day we became what the Bible calls us orphans. And ever since then, humanity has been sort of wondering the desert of life and trying to figure things out. And you and I exist in this capacity where we're growing, where we're building, but oftentimes we're not quite sure who we are and why we are and where we're going. But the Bible has made this provision. It says that God does not want us to end up as orphans. So he sent his son, God the Father, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, pay the price for our mistakes and sins so that we could be adopted once again, so we could be brought back to the family. You believe that? Amen. I believe that. I want to believe that. And you know where I got that idea? This book. The Bible. See, this thing that I hold and that you probably do have at some place in some part of your life is that thing that I long for that I wish I could have from my earthly father. A peace that explains his heart. And the Bible says, it claims about itself that it is the word of God. Do you believe that? The Bible says that it itself is the written record of who our original father is. And that by hanging on to what is in this book, we might know him. And that by knowing him, we might stop being orphans and learn how to be sons and daughters again. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about how God is in this process of bringing us back to our origin, bringing us back, reclaiming our identity, and bringing us back to the way we were meant to be in constant companionship with God and growing in grace and relationship with one another. Yeah, that's the part where you say, Amen. That's God's intent. To, when we started, it was all great, but we walked away from that. And now God is using the Holy Spirit to bring us back to the origin of who we are. And how he does that, we've been discovering, is through faith. Faith in the words that God gives us. The Bible. This is what the Bible claims about itself. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. This is from John chapter 20, verse 31, which is uh, the verse that's in your bulletin for the day. And it says this. Uh, the first verse says that all the things that Jesus did while he was on earth were not completely recorded. But these things, the ones that we find in the book, it says these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Bible claims about itself that it is the words of God through the life of Jesus to give you life. This book. We talked about this last week. It's one of those, uh, uh, it's the, most, the best seller of all time, the most published in the most different languages, also the most stolen. <laughs> uh, we, we talked about that. This book, this book, for centuries, for centuries, this book 
has brought something to humanity that no other book has. But why this book? Why this book? Why the words that are in this book? See, I mentioned to you last week that we all trust somebody. It's just a question of who you trust and how much. Do you know that there are so many books written and currently published and available for you, for you to figure out who you are? There's a ton. In fact, if you go to Barnes & Noble, I mean, who goes there anymore? But if you go to Barnes & Noble, will, you'll find a section called the self-help. You with me? You been there? Yeah, self-help. And if you go through the self-help section, there are scores and scores and scores of books that are going to help you become the real you. Magazines, books, videos. <laughs> Everyone has an opinion and idea. In fact, there are also many philosophies and beliefs about where we started and who you're supposed to be and why you exist. And currently, modern science basically says there's no reason. It's just chaos. You just, we all just, and we're just running around getting the most out of YOLO, right? But the Bible seems to suggest something else. The Bible says, in the beginning, where's my daughter? In the beginning, God. in the beginning, God. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. The Bible claims that God is the origin of our story, that we began with Him, and that He has a purpose for us, that you don't just exist for no reason. The Bible claims that in the beginning, God, and it repeats this over and over again in the middle, right in the Psalms, the Bible says that God knitted you together in your mother's womb, that he thought about you and created you. And at the end, in Revelation, the Bible says that he wants you for himself, that you were created to be in relationship, that he will be, has been, and will forever be our father. I love that. I like that. Why this book? Friends, because this is the only book that has ever claimed to be the Word of God. The Word of God. And the fascinating thing about it, though, is that you don't have to take its claims for granted. You can try it out for yourself. The Bible says, test, taste, come and see. Put it in play for yourself. And that's why last week, if you were here, I issued a seven-day Bible challenge where I encouraged anyone who was willing to take me up on it to read the Bible each, each night, just a small passage, and ask God to speak to you through it. And I don't know if you did or not, but I did. Mikey was my partner, and we had a great time. Uh, at some point last Sabbath, I overheard someone encouraging another member to come to church and said, you don't want to miss church next week because that's when the pastor's going to get slapped around. Because I said, hey, if you take me up on this challenge and you read the Bible every day and it's a waste of your time, then you can come back, slap me around for wasting your time. And I'll keep my word. I will be standing right there at the close of today's service. And if you did the challenge, you read the Bible every night and it was a waste of your time, go ahead and come slap me. I'll be waiting for you. I'll keep my word. But if, on the other hand, you taste it and it was good, then praise God, right? It was good for me. Mikey and I shared our thoughts uh, in the evenings, and God was just really good. I needed these words. The Bible is the only book that claims that it is the Word of God, that it is God who's writing us an expression of Himself.
But why is it important for us to believe that? A few weeks ago, I was at a conference where I met, um, well, I didn't officially meet him, but he was close to me, uh, author Leonard Sweet. He's a prolific Christian author. And as he was uh, relaying his, his message, this is one of the things that he said, and it captured my attention. And he said, the author of your story is your authority. In other words, he says, who you believe is the author of who you are. That is the person or the thing that is your authority. And I want to believe what the Bible claims about me, that God is the author in the beginning God. And therefore, if God is the author of my story, then God is my authority. And then what the Bible says suddenly has weight because it is now authority. And trying to understand the Bible and trying to figure out this challenge, I want us to pay attention to these things. I want us to understand how... <clears throat> The Bible came to be and how we are meant to benefit from it. And the first thing we have to ascertain is whether or not this book has authority. According to Robertson McQuilkin, uh, the Bible has authority because it is the living word. It is Jesus and Jesus is our authority. We just read it in John. The Bible says in these pages are written what Jesus did so that you might have life. The living word. Remember we read in John, in the beginning was the word, capital W, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and then the word came to live among us. And we read again in John 15 where Jesus says, if I remain in you and you remain in me, if my words remain in you and you remain in me, then you will bear much fruit. You remember that? See, I have to make a choice. You and I have to make a choice. We all believe and trust somebody. The question is who and how much. We have to make a choice. And today I'm inviting you to make a choice to trust that God is the author of this book. And therefore, he has authority on my life. If I don't come across that bridge, friends, then this book is just like the others on that self-help aisle. Just another opinion among many. But if I come across that bridge and I say, God, I will choose to believe that this is the Word of God, then everything begins to change. And this is what the Bible claims about itself. Look at this from 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, Prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What the Bible says about how this came to be is that no person, no self-help guru thought up some good things, but that the Bible came to be because the Holy Spirit carried along, inspired and carried along people to write these things that God meant for us. So the Word of God has authority because it comes from God, and the Holy Spirit is the agent of the creation of the Bible. It is the Holy Spirit who's responsible for giving us the Word of God, for giving us this book, this Bible. And it is why this, the words in these pages have power. It's why we call it living. It's not just information. It's something more. First, we have to ascertain the authority. God was trying to establish a relationship with us as his children. He is sending something to help us recognize that we're his children. But if we reject it and refuse it, we remain orphans and we continue to wander aimlessly trying to find our own way. But if we receive this idea, this belief that this word comes from God, suddenly we will begin to receive the invitation he's making to return back to him. And so the Bible says... 
that this book was inspired by God. And inspiration is how the Holy Spirit actually accomplished the task of giving us the Bible. See, what God is doing in this book is telling us something that we could not otherwise figure out on our own. That's what revelation is. And the way he did that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. As I just read, but now it'll be even more clear. The Bible says that all scripture is God-breathed. Pneuma, that's the word. The same word that's used for Holy Spirit. All, all, all scripture is God-breathed. Like the Holy Spirit moved and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. God is trying to help us figure out our true identity and reclaim it. And he uses the words in this book to bring us into this relationship, into this information. Unfortunately, too many of us reject that notion. We reject the idea that God is our Father. We reject the idea that He sent us this Word. And we reject the idea that this has authority. And so we're left wondering aimlessly. But that's not what the Holy Spirit wants. The Holy Spirit wants to reconnect us back to the Father so we can live the life that we were meant to live. Not the average Christian life where we're sometimes good and sometimes bad, but the one infused with God-given power for grace, for joy, for happiness, for purpose. That's what God intended, and that's why he sent us this book. That's why he gives us an inspired work of God. Now that we have received it, we know something about God that we could not otherwise know. Now that we have received it, we know some, some things that come directly from the heart of God that we would not have come up with on our own. Left to our own devices, we would not have arrived at these conclusions, but God is giving them to us so we might know him and know him better. And in revealing himself, he gives us things to unpack and understand. I have included these things in the back of your, of your bulletin. I'm sure you're, you're looking at it now in case some of you want to take some notes. That, that's what it was for. <laughs> yeah, okay, so I know we haven't been in school a while. So there's this thing they call taking notes where you write down something that you think will be useful. Because according to Ben Franklin, the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. Uh, right now you're like, mm, yeah, I'm going to remember that. You're not. Uh, so write it down and then it will be there. Uh, or put it on your phones or take a snapshot of the screen. That works too. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Because I, I really want you to benefit from what we're doing here together today. From what God is trying to share with us today. See, as God begins to reveal his heart in these pages, as God begins to, it becomes now sort of our task to try to figure out what God is saying. But here's the challenge. When God reveals himself, and God gives us the Bible, uh, people respond to this uh, revelation in different ways. And I want to give you uh, some principles for helping unpack what the Bible says for our lives. These are from this book that I've been sharing with you that I just found really helpful and I want to share them with you. And so that's what the number is there for those of you who like to take notes. Number one, this is some guidelines for, um, for receiving the revelation that comes from God. Number one, the general principles that God gives and the specific commands that God gives are never in conflict with one another. See, the Bible is a book full of principles like... 
love your neighbor as yourself, right? Uh, or um, uh, live with humility. It's, it, it's full of these principles, but it also has direct commands like thou shall not murder. And when these commands are given, they can never be in conflict with one another because it is given by the same God through the same Holy Spirit. So we can't justify violating a direct command from God by appealing to a broader principle. In other words, we can't say, I know you said not to do that, but you also said we should do this kind of thing, so I'm going to do this kind of thing in violation of what you said not to do. I know it sounds confusing, but this is kind of what it looks like. <laughs> Remember a couple of weeks ago we studied uh, the temptation of Jesus. And this is the game that the tempter plays. He comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, I'll just read it to you. He says to Jesus, <clears throat> he takes, a, the Bible says, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 5, it says, The devil took him up uh, to the holy city and he stood in the highest point of the temple and he said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself from this high point, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up and you won't hurt yourself. The, the, the devil says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself because the, the Bible says that God will protect you. And Jesus turns around and he says, It is written, you shall not test the Lord your God. See, the devil wanted him to twist the principle that God will protect you into testing the direct command. You, you see the difference? And sometimes in receiving the revelation from the Word of God, we do the same. God said, don't do this. But because we want to do what we want to do, we apply a broader principle to justify something that's in direct opposition to God's commands. We just can't do that. Because God does not conflict himself. It's the same father with the same message. Principle number two. Our application of the general biblical principle, love your neighbor as yourself, does not have God's authority. So as I'm applying that, if I'm saying, okay, how am I going to use this in my life? What I'm saying I'm going to do does not have God's authority. So I can't make my personal interpretation in opposition to God's principle. I can't say God is telling me to do something. I'm applying it. But that be in opposition to what God has already said. And that's what's happening here. Uh, uh, right here in, 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 in the temptation of Jesus. See, uh, the tempter comes and he says, look, look. Uh, you were meant to save the world. And I'm going to put you up here on top of the world. You remember this from Matthew chapter 4? And he says, and I'll show you all the whole world. And if you just bow down and worship me, you can complete your purpose. You, I'll give it all to you. You don't have to suffer. I'll give it all to you. And Jesus says, no, for it is written, worship the Lord your God, your God alone. Jesus interpreted, the devil's interpretation for Jesus the way he wanted to use the Bible is in contradiction, in opposition to God's direct and intended command. And so our applications don't have the same weight as God said. And this is really important for us Adventists because too many times we have interpreted something and then we have paid, placed so much weight on there that we think that our interpretation is the same weight as God's principle. And then we go and we shame and... and put other people down who are not living according to our interpretation, even though our interpretation is opposition to the principles of God. You follow me? I think you are. Third, third guideline. 
The fact that no command covers a specific situation does not set us free to do as we please. We are still bound by the principles of Scripture, and that's why we need both principles and commands. In the story here, the, the, uh, uh, the tempter comes to Jesus and he says, look, I know you're hungry, so if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread and, and be satisfied. See, the Bible has no specific command about not turning stones into bread. You follow me? The Bible doesn't say, thou shall not turn stones into bread. It doesn't say that. <laughs> but just because it doesn't say that doesn't mean you're free to do whatever you want to do to please your hunger, your appetites. We're still bound by the principles. That's why Jesus says, no, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. You see what's happening there? But too often, when the Bible doesn't speak about something, we give ourselves permission to, to do whatever we want. But here's the truth, friends. There's nothing in the Bible about the Internet. You with me? Didn't exist. I mean, when I was a kid, it didn't even exist then. There's nothing about the Bible. So if you say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything, I could do whatever I want on the Internet. That's not actually true. We are still bound by the principles of purity and righteousness. And when God says, be holy, be blameless, pursue the things that are good, the things that are pure, we're still bound by those principles, even if they don't speak specifically about the Internet. But sometimes in receiving revelation, we, we, we fall prey to these particular traps. We fall prey. Uh, we say, okay, well, uh, God says to love my neighbor, so I'm going to do this thing that I know is wrong, but because I'm loving my neighbor, I'm going to do it. God said, I shall not commit adultery, but because I love my neighbor, literally, I'm going to go and love my neighbor. <laughs> Wouldn't make any sense, but that's what we do. Or we make our application uh, be as superior as God's authority. We say, well, when God said love your neighbor, he meant we needed to give them cookies every Sabbath. And I'm giving, and you're not giving cookies, so you'll be damned. See, it doesn't, doesn't add up, but that's what we do. And just because God didn't say anything about giving cookies on the Sabbath doesn't mean we're not bound by principles. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? God has revealed his heart to us, but it requires us to wrestle with this. It requires us to try to understand the nature of who God is. It requires what we call interpretation. And what interpretation is, is the work of figuring out what the author meant in a particular passage so that we can then apply it to our lives. We have to wrestle with what was trying to be said at that time in that period. We can't just manipulate it for ourselves. We have to wrestle with what it was trying to say because, friends, the Bible is an expression of God, but it intersects with humanity. That means it has footholds in time. And it is our task and the work of every son and every daughter of Christ to try to wrestle and authentically apply what he was trying to say. We call this work interpretation. And when interpreting the Bible, people generally take one of three approaches. I'm gonna, that's why the numbers are, if you're, if you're playing along in your score sheet there, this is what the numbers are for. Sometimes people respond to this word of God and think that the Bible is purely human. Somebody who thinks that the Bible is purely human is somebody who would say that any 
miracle in the Bible it must have been just like a, a big story, uh, a myth. Something like the feeding of the 5,000 or Jesus walking on water or the flood. They say, well, that's probably just allegory. So we reduce the Bible uh, to more than God's account of the human and the divine. We reduce the Bible to sort of just a, a bunch of good stories that maybe we can gain a moral form, like a fable. But when we do that, we put ourselves as the authority over the Bible. And then we, our reasoning, gets to decide what to take and what to reject. We see the Bible as sort of purely human. Others uh, see the Bible as purely supernatural. They think the Bible is like a magical book full of hidden meanings. And it's our job to sort of connect the mysterious dots. But sometimes, in looking for hidden meanings, we come up with conclusions that have nothing to do with what the original message was intended. You following me? In looking for connections and things, we, we, we create things that have nothing to do with what God was originally trying to say. But what the Bible actually is, it is both divine and human. Because the Bible is a representation of Jesus Christ who was, in the most awesome way, both fully divine and fully human. You see that? In the same way that we praise God for giving us the Son who was God incarnate, we can thank God that the Bible is both God and human. It is God incarnate. That's why Jesus says, when I go, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will leave you my words. They are an extension of who I am. Think about it. With this book and with the words that are in this book, we can have Jesus with us today, every day. It's not just the story of a long time ago on a stick put together a long time ago. It's God himself presently here. God with me. God with us. Divine and human. And as such, it is our job to try to search for the meaning of what was intended by the authors and then applying that. And the beautiful thing about all of this is that we don't have to do this on our own. God has promised that the Holy Spirit would illuminate the way, light the way. We read this before in our Connected Life series. The Bible says, Jesus promised, he says, I will send you another. We call him the Holy Spirit, the counselor. And he says, and when he comes, he will guide you into all truths. Amen? And he says, Jesus says, uh, if you read it in John chapter 15, uh, 14 and 16, I'm sorry, he says, the Holy Spirit will come and he will teach you and guide you and he will remind you of all the things that I have taught you and I have said. That's why John says these words are written, the Holy Spirit inspired them to us so that we could have life in them. God gave us this book as an expression of himself because he couldn't be here physically. He could. He is. But it's the divine connected with me. And so now I must treat the Bible in that, with that kind of respect. The same kind of respect I would come to when I meet Jesus. I don't want to say Jesus was purely human. Then what he did is irrelevant. Nor do I want to say that he was purely divine because then what he did has nothing to do with me. But he is both. That's what's so cool about it. The God of the universe intersects with me, a tiny man, literally, a tiny man in this south corner of San Diego. That's why we call it the living word. 
that God wants to connect with us. And that's why we've been challenging ourselves to live by every word. And that's why last week I issued the seven-day Bible challenge. Did you do it? Did you try? Did you take me up on it? Well, those of you that did, I hope it was a blessing to you. It certainly was for me. Uh, I did not know specifically what the words would say and how they would be you know, applied, but as I read them and as I shared my notes with Mikey and he with me, I, I found it really amazing. On some days, it, just, it was like what I needed to hear. Anybody else with me? It, some days, it was, like this, it was like God is talking to me. See, what God is trying to give us here is not a book of information like an encyclopedia where you can find out answers. What God has actually given us here is a reflection of himself. He wants to interact with us, God with us. And when we read these words and we ask, the Bible says, search me and you will find me if you search me with all your heart. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit would lead us. And when we search and we, we, we come to that, to that point of asking God, he reveals himself and we can know him so we know that we're not alone. And that's what God was telling me this, this week in, in Colossians and in Hebrews. In Hebrews, God was talking to me a couple nights ago as I was struggling. It was Thursday night. I was struggling. Y'all think pastor's life is easy, right? Just show up on Saturday, do your dance. No, no. I was struggling on Thursday night, and I went to the Word, and this is what it said. It said uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it said that the Son, this Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. He reflects God's glory and the exact representation, like Father, like Son. And then it says this, and that Jesus sustains all things by the power of His Word. And there I was reading His words, and I was like, sustain me, O God. And I felt like he came and sat with me and was holding me up. The Word of God is living. It's not a book of information. It is God's heart revealed to us, sustaining. He wants to sustain us by the Word. Many years passed by since that night. In 1983, would have been early January 1983 when I... I thought I'd burned all my father's things and my mother's things. And then one day, literally, maybe 20 years after, my adoptive mother, my aunt, who's now my mother, Mary, said, I have something for you. She said, I've been hanging on to this for a while while you were a kid, but I have something for you. And she opened up a box and gave me a few things. Among them was this. I know it means nothing to you, and it looks like nothing to you. But when I received it, it blew me away. See, uh, my mom studied to be a, a teacher in college. She never got to work as a teacher, but that's where she met my father. And then I think one of her classes... She, uh, she put together this project, which is a full, a full book of how to raise a family. It's got like pictures and suggestions and notes, things that she said. And how to take care of a baby. How to give birth. I know she wasn't thinking of me when she wrote it. 
when she was putting it together. But I can't help feel closer to her when I see it, when I see her writing, when I see her name and her words. I so wish I had more of it. I so wish I had her and that she could talk to me through these words. Because being an orphan is hard. And all orphans want their mothers and fathers back. But when I look at it and I hold it, I know I'm not alone. That's essentially what God has done with us. He's written a book so we might know his heart. And we call it the Bible. And in it, we can be close to him. In it, we can hear his heart. And in it, we find life. How amazing is that? That we can be sustained by the word. The God not only wants to save us, but he wants to sustain us, to give us energy and grace and peace and love through his word. Friends, my invitation to you is to dig deep in the word of God. It's been our privilege to do it together here, but it's also my uh, privilege to challenge you to do it regularly and with, with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So I'm extending a special invitation to all of you, to all of you. Today we're having lunch together in our, in our social hall. We're just going to celebrate being a family, but at the same time, we're inviting you. Just listen to me carefully for a second. We're inviting all of you to be a part of a small group where we search the Word of God and where we pray for one another. You know, we're not meant to be alone. We're meant to exist in community, searching the Word of God together. We've been doing it every Saturday morning in the social hall between 10 and 11. And starting in April 1, we're going to break up into a few bigger groups. We'll have one in this patio, one in that patio, two in the back. And we want you to join in. We want you to come and, and be known and search, read the Word of God with us and pray together. We want you to be blessed as we bless one another with the words that God has given us. So in the social hall, if you stay for lunch, you'll find these sign-up sheets, these different groups. And uh, just put your name on there if God leads you. If, you. if you're tired of being alone, if you're tired of trying to do this life on your own and you want to plant roots a little bit, we're going to be meeting together Saturday mornings, same time as you're normally here between 10 and 11. And we just want to grow together and search the Word of God. We want to be sustained by the Word. I'm tired of trying to figure it out on my own. And this week as I prayed and I was asking God to help me, God said to me, you are not the leader of this church. No, Christ is. Amen? Christ is. And Christ sustains. And I was wrestling with him. And I said, God, I don't know about this. And God said to me, Christ is the head of the church. And he has given us all things necessary. You will lack nothing because in his graciousness, he gives generously. In Hebrews, he says, if you need wisdom, if any man needs wisdom, and he talked to me, if you ask God, and he gives, and he gives generously, and he will give you, and he will keep you strong. That's from 1 Corinthians. He will keep you strong. I heard all these words, and I said to myself, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that I'm not alone. Thank you that we are not alone. Thank you for sustaining me and giving me strength and giving me just what I needed. I know some of you understand what that's like, because at some point this week, the word of God came to you and gave you energy and gave you hope 
And that's what we want for one another. That's what's possible for one another. That's what God intended, to reclaim us to himself as our Father and that we would live in constant companionship with him. Do you want that? Do you want that? Do you want to be sustained? Do you need that? Just receive him today. Let him in. Let his word soak over you. Call him Father and ask him to bless you. And he will because he's here, right here, right now. And you are his son and you are his daughter. And he loves you deeply and passionately. And he wants to bless you. Would you please stand and sing with us as we praise?